Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading, we are continuing to travel in Matthew, and we are nearing the end. We are in Matthew 21. We'll be reading verses 23 through 32. Matthew 21, verses 23 through 32. Listen. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. 
What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father then went to the second son and asked the same question, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a man with an odd name, Orville Sash. Orville had a very humble job in a certain big company, a job in the lowest basement of a building. He was the mailroom clerk. As a mailroom clerk, there was no one lower than he was. One day he came across a bug scurrying across the floor. Orville may have the lowest job in the whole company, but he was bigger than a bug. So he raised his foot to flatten the hapless bug, And the bug spoke. Spare me, said the bug, and I will grant you your fondest wishes. Well, Orville spared the bug. Who wouldn't? His reward, one wish. I wish to be promoted to the second floor, just anywhere out of this mailroom. One floor up will be great. And his wish was granted, zap. Found himself working on the second floor. But wait, Orville heard footsteps on the ceiling of floor number two. A higher level must mean higher wages. The next day, Orville rose to the third floor job of sales coordinator, but that didn't end his drive or his ambition. He wished for still more promotions. He went to the 10th floor, then the 20th, then the 50th, then the 70th. Still, he was not satisfied. Orville was sitting by the indoor pool on floor 96 when he discovered a stairway leading up to another floor. He scrambled up the steps, found himself on the roof at last. He was the highest, the greatest. Finally content, he headed for the down stairway. When he came across the boy, a boy on the edge of the building with his eyes closed. What are you doing? Praying, said the boy. To whom? The boy pointed his finger skyward and replied, to God. Panic gripped Orville. Was there a floor above him he couldn't see? And he couldn't hear any footsteps shuffling around up there, just clouds. Do you mean to tell me that there's someone above me, someone greater than I? Yes, the boy said. Well, the bug was summoned. Make me God, make me the greatest, put me in the type of position that only God would hold if he were here on earth. It was granted. And the very next day, Orville began work as a gopher in the basement, 
helping others to be successful in their jobs. Nice. So several great passages for us. Let's start with Philippians. And Vicki gave you a good introduction uh, of Paul's letter. This was one of of Paul's first letters written and specifically and preached the gospel in Europe and established one of the early branches of the Christian church. Paul was writing to the Philippians to express his gratitude and support for the Philippians who had financially supported him, but also spiritually and prayerfully through his especially second missionary journey and his incarceration in Rome. He was praising them for their faith, and he was hearing about them from a Philippian disciple named Epaphroditus. Everybody say that. Ready? One, two, three. Epaphroditus. Your next pets should all be named Epaphroditus. He was a Philippian disciple and bringing Paul up to speed about what was going on in the church in Philippi, to which Paul then responds and writes a letter. There are great things going on as Paul is writing to them. The bigger picture of the book is humbleness and unity and also being wary of false Christians that would be sending the wrong messages. And especially in that time and place, it was what they called Judaizers. Just sounds bad, doesn't it? You Judaizer. And in that case, it meant that in order to become a Christian, you first had to go back and reaffirm your Jewishness, specifically circumcision. And Paul was saying, no, you don't have to do that to become Christian. That's earning your salvation. That's going through a track that we are trying to reset with our Gentile brothers and sisters. And so that was some of the early faction in the church. So be humble and be united. And as we see the early part in this, be of the same mind. Be in unity with one another. Seek the mind of Christ. Oh, just that. Just seek the mind of Christ and let it be done. Okay, well, Vicki was talking about the blueprints. It's often easy for us to decide on the bigger goals of life and then we start to break down and fracture when we get to how we get there. The same is true in politics, left and right. Do we want children to be healthy and educated? I think left and right on the political spectrum would say, well, of course we do. How do we do that? Boom, fracture. Do we want everyone to be employed? Of course we do. How do we get there? Boom. Do we want people to have retirement? Do we want people to be able to live free in our definitions. Of course, we would all say yes, boom. Do we want equality? Of course we do. How do we get there? Boom. It's the blueprint that becomes so difficult. And so Paul lays out the bigger picture and says, be of the same mind, be in unity. Now, does that mean we have to all believe the same thing? Well, of course it does. 
You believe what I believe and the world will be fine. No, it's not what I or we believe. Of course not. Not only our church, but our nation is set up on having multiple points of view that intentionally provide some friction and some conflict. Intentionally set up that way. Why? So we can hear different perspectives. We can hear different contexts. We can hear different understandings of how to move forward to achieve goals. Now, in our Presbyterian church, we have committees. That's who we are, a committee people. And we are consensus-based. That means we all have to make an argument, and there are different sides of the argument. And while it can often take more time to get through that process, the hope is that when things get through that process, they've been thought, they've been debated, they've been, every angle has been explored so that we have a better understanding of that which we are passing. Same thing in the government. We have a two-party system. It was set up for friction so that nothing is too easy to change in large capacities about the way that we live our life, but that we must come together to a certain degree to move forward together. And when that doesn't happen, neither does the rest. So some friction is okay. Disagreement is okay. Different thoughts and beliefs. I, I would venture to speak for Christ, which is always scary. And I apologize, dear Lord, if this is wrong. But I would venture a guess to say, Jesus would say, I had 12 disciples and I had 12 different opinions on certain things. No matter what I told them. Because again, it's that bigger structure. We know where we want to go, but how do we get there? We want more people at church. Of course we do. We want to grow and thrive. We want younger and older to come of all races and peoples. And But how do we do it? Bam. Fracture. Break. Blueprint. How do we do it? Uh, we know, but the other guy thinks something different. The other lady's thinking something different. I don't know if we want to push that. That's hard. Let's not talk about it. Boom, we stay the same. And so many things can affect us in the church this way that we paralyze ourselves because we're afraid to have disagreements and conversations. Why? Because in the national scene, and there are many factors that feed in, it's so unhealthy. It's so unhealthy the way that politicians, media, left and right are treating each other. Well, okay, what does that look like? I'm going to give you two examples. Now, I think we know or could recognize those two guys, certainly the one on the left, former President George W. Bush, looking a little more casual than we're used to seeing him. And then Bono, the lead singer of the rock group U2, Irish. Now, what are they doing together and what are they so happy about? Well, if you recall, around 2002, Bono came to the United States to petition Congress and the president for money to help those dealing with the AIDS crisis in Africa and poverty in their nation. And as a result, uh, PEPFAR, 
President's Emergency Plan for Age Relief came into being. And I'm quoting a Rolling Stone article where Bono in 2018, so 16 years later, received the inaugural George W. Bush Medal for Distinguished Leadership. Bono was the first. During that visit, Bono lobbied the president to financial aid support, just what we've been talking about. And Bono said, in regards to George W. Bush, who is completely opposite of the spectrum on where he is in his political beliefs. Bono is very liberal and progressive. George W. Bush, a Republican conservative. Bono says about Bush, that's why I'm not sure people understand. 13 million from PEPFAR, the emergency plan for age relief, if you add the Global Relief Fund, it's probably been 21 million lives have been saved by this work that you began, President Bush, and led, and I'm here to honor that. And then Bush turns around and responds about Bono. The truth of the matter is, Pepfar would never have made it out of Congress had you not been engaged. Now, their constituency, those of like mind and positions, all told them to stop cavorting with the other side. Bono's liberal pal saying, what are you doing talking to that conservative Republican? Similar with George W. Why are you messing with that megalomaniac, self-described rock star who's looking for photo ops, who thinks he knows everything about everything and how to save the world? What were they in unity of mind about? Saving those people in need who were dying. Millions and millions who were dying. What was greater than their divide was their unity and both professing Christians. Their unity in Christ, their ability to see the Christ in one another, to humble themselves enough to say, you know what, I don't have to be right, you don't have to be right, but we can work together on this. Did Bono change his convictions or political beliefs? No. Did George W. change his convictions, his political beliefs? No. They stood fast, but they stepped up to a higher existence so that they could help millions and millions of people. What you're looking at here is Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg together on an elephant in India in 1994. Again, a similar understanding of how that blueprint is followed. I'm going to read excerpts of a USA Today article that came out a week ago after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Long before they became federal appeals court judges, Supreme Court justices, traveling companions, and New Year's Eve celebrants together, Ruth Bader Ginsburg watched Antonin Kalia speak to the American Bar Association. As she would for decades to come, Ginsburg disagreed with Scalia's thesis. But she recalled in 2014, he said it in an absolutely captivating way. The two were ideological opposites, and they attracted from that day on a close friendship. One of their families spending time and traveling together. What's not to like, Scalia says, of Ginsburg at the joint appearance six years ago, except her views on the law. 
We agree on a whole lot of stuff, he added. Ruth is really bad only on the knee-jerk stuff. Maybe you saw some of that interview as well. In an era of increasingly bitter partisan enmity, the odd coupling of Ginsburg, petite, serious, shy, and Scalia, rotund, garrulous, overly opinionated, may be viewed as an anachronism. But it was also cited as a signal of hope. They were both New Yorkers, both close in age, liked a lot of the same things, the law, teaching, travel, music, sharing meals with family and friends. They had a bond that they kind of both grew up as outsiders to different degrees. To the elites who had ruled the country, she, a Jew and a woman, he as a devout Catholic and Italian-American. At Scalia's memorial service in 2016, Ginsburg recounted the story of how when she was writing the high court majority opinion, striking down the VMI, Virginia Military Institute's ban on admitting women, Scalia showed her his unfinished dissent. You get a sense of that? She's writing the majority opinion, striking down a law banning women from VMI. Scalia is writing the dissent and came before it was done to show to her. It was a zinger, she said, filled with disdainful footnotes. But I was glad to have the extra days to adjust, to the, adjust the court's opinion. My final draft was much improved thank to just, thanks to Justice Scalia's searing criticism. In other words, what she did was better because she looked at what he, he was writing. She looked at the opposite side and said, that is awful and I don't agree with it, but... It's made my response better. And to finish that up, then she says, how blessed I was, she wrote, to have a working colleague and dear friend of such captivating brilliance, high spirits, and quick wit. And from our years together at the D.C. Circuit, we were best buddies, she said. And Scalia said... I attack ideas, I don't attack people. Some very good people have some very bad ideas. Ain't it the truth, friends? But you see this and you look and you think, how could that be? Think about the power in the Supreme Court. There is none higher. President can't change what they do. Their word is final and there's none. You think their arguments have repercussions and ripples that change the fabric of this country? Every decision, some larger than others. But my goodness, the, the stakes are high. They can't be higher than the Supreme Court. And yet, these two that vehemently disagree with their political stances are able to have a loving friendship. Still stick to their guns. Nobody's changing their perspectives, except they've made each other better by seeing the differences in their sameness. Could you see President Trump and House Leader Nancy Pelosi on an elephant together in India? Not unless they were both armed, perhaps. We're so far past, that cat is out of the bag. But we don't have to perpetuate it and push that cat farther out. We can't control national media. We can't control national politics, save a vote, important. 
But as Christians, that blueprint for us is to say, how can we be of unity of one mind? And that is Christ's mind. And that is to love and care for one another. It's not easy. That relationship between Bono and Bush and Ginsburg and Scalia took time to build trust, took time to see the Christ in each other's eyes, and that respect was a part of it. Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, you need to do this and show the rest of the world what this means. Love Christ by loving one another. Be of one mind, of Christ's mind, seek that, and then show it and do it. So let us go forth today and realize that it's okay that we have differences in the sameness with people in our family, in our friendship groups, in our organizations, in our churches, in our communities, in our nation, and in the world. The important part is that we have sameness. And for us who are believers, that is Christ. And never to stop seeing the eyes of Christ, especially in our opponents, but getting to know them as children of God. Hallelujah. Amen.